0: And welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. And this week, we've got guest Jeff Hessel with us to discuss role-playing games.
1: Yes, this was a really interesting conversation, and I hope you guys like it, too. So let's get to it. Great. So we are here today with Jeff Hessel, and
0: we're going to be discussing with him things about role-playing games. And I'll let him introduce himself a little bit more before we get to it.
2: Ah, okay. Well, I am Jeff Hessel, and I have been playing role-playing games for a very long time, since the 80s, and have played all sorts of different things. I have a a podcast coming out soon in which I'm going to be doing some live role-playing, and... I don't know. What do you what do you want to know about? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can you start with your history of the game? I know you said you've been playing for a while, but did you start with a certain system? Do you prefer a certain system?
2: Well, long ago in 1980, I believe, I got the Dungeons and Dragons basic set. For a Christmas present, I believe. And so I started playing that before I really even had friends to play it with. I would read the books obsessively and sort of go through little adventures by myself. <laughs> kind of sad, perhaps. But uh, I eventually got some friends to play with and I started <laughs> running the game for them. And that's, yeah, we did that all through our teen years. And then I just kind of kept, Playing Lots of other games beyond that. I mean, there's many different editions of that one now, and I kind of followed through most of them. But I eventually got more into more story-oriented games, uh, like Call of Cthulhu. And more recently, games like Fiasco, and Kids on Bikes, and Blades in the Dark... There are so many.
1: What attracts you to role playing games? What do you like best about them?
2: Ah, well, that would be the story for certain. The characters, the character development, telling a story as a group. It's best when everyone is kind of involved, not just a game master telling a story, but to have other people contributing and kind of group storytelling. That's the greatest part of it. I've always been a great fan of stories i mean originally in fantasy and science fiction but then it's you know branched out into any number of genres fiasco is a game that sort of mirrors coen brothers films like a one shot one night thing which goes terribly wrong and all the characters come to bad ends but it's still a great time
1: (laughs) i've never
0: heard of it so it sounds interesting it's very fun. I love I love Fiasco. It's fabulous. We had questions for you about the collaborative nature of storytelling. You hit on some of that, and I want to sort of focus a little bit more on how do you think RPG narrative ends up differing from other kinds of narrative?
2: Well, I guess I would say it's in in terms of storytelling, it's free form. Nobody really knows for sure where the story is going. Uh, I mean, the game. Master does have a general idea, but the players never, ever take it in the direction that you would expect. And so it's usually a surprise to everyone involved. And that's the greatest part about it, is the spontaneity of the story, I think. Mm -hmm. I guess it's a little bit like improv.
0: I was going to just say, yeah, you're doing improv, but it's not comedy-based, right? necessarily.
2: It could be. It certainly could be. be. (laughs) Frequently is, but it can also be, you know, really serious. I, I've actually been known to get a little choked up. I mean, it gets kind of emotional. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's, it's awesome storytelling.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I don't think I have told you about my background in RPGs, which is very, very limited. <laughs> I've wanted to play for a while, but it's tough to get a group together who can do it every every week or at least at regular intervals. So finally, I'm in a game right now, and we're like two months in, so we're like going okay, we're doing okay. (laughs) So for me, who is very, very new to this, I really didn't understand before that it is this sort of collaborative storytelling. And although it's very exciting, as an author, it's also a little bit scary because (laughs) as a game master, how do you deal with? yeah, your player's going in a completely different direction. How do you, if they need to find something for the story, how do you circle them back around? Or just how do you relinquish control of the narrative, I guess? Mm, Yeah, (laughs) I find that very frustrating myself, so yeah. (laughs) Is that why you're a player and not a game master? (laughs) Yes.
2: (laughs) It's a very difficult thing to allow your players to do whatever they want and to not have the story on the rails, so to speak, players tend to hate it when they feel like the story is predetermined. Mm-hmm. They don't really have any agency. And so you have to be able to just find a different way to get to that really important thing. I mean, you have to be able to just put it somewhere else or somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and The art of being a good game master is to be able to adapt, I think, because, yeah, the players will always do that to you every time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that kind of spins off into a question I had about maybe both level of preparedness and also the pros and cons of pre-made adventures. My one and only GMing experience was a pre-made adventure. And because I didn't write it, I didn't feel like I had control over it and so when my players did stuff that was really not getting them to to where they kind of needed to be to conclude this like basically trying to be a one-shot i didn't really know how to best get them back on track and they did have a level of frustration so do you tend to not use pre-made adventures because of that problem
2: i will use pre-made adventures but i usually make them my own I'd never stick to it 100%. Okay. Just because I mean, you usually have to kind of wrap it around the characters that you get anyway, unless they're pre-made characters too and it's just designed specifically for them, but you still never know what they're going to do, so you have to be able to uh change it. Sometimes it's even better. I mean, what you come up with spontaneously can definitely be better than what was ever intended for the adventure. So That's what I try to make happen. (laughs) (laughs) Again, as a
1: beginning player, I think pre-made adventures can be really, really useful for people who are just starting. So if there are listeners out there who are a little bit intimidated by the sprawling nature of the rules, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's absolutely a thing that you can do that you can get a pre-made adventure and kind of go through it with a couple of your also newbie friends. Mm -hmm. So yeah.
2: Sure. Sure. And in regard to rules and the sprawling nature thereof, (laughs) I definitely prefer a rules light approach Mm. in which you I mean, there are a lot of people out there who are sort of slaves to the rules, you know, but I like to wing it much more. I like to just maybe come up with a percentage chance that they might be able to succeed at something and have them roll that. Or, you know, if it's something that I don't know the rule for, you just make it up. So you you never really have to play it 100% by the rules if the story is the most important part to you, you know? Mm -hmm. That's
0: a good point, because I think that with games that have a really high level of combat, that can become like a big portion of the session of just figuring out, okay, well, how do we how do we do that thing? And it can get really difficult, I, especially I really like a high level of negotiation and personal intrigue, um, yes, me too. But, but combat is fun, too. It's just how maybe to balance if you've got a group of players where you've got some people who really like that personal stuff and some people who like combat a lot, how do you kind of blend that group well?
2: Yeah, it's hard to please everybody. It really is. I mean, the best that you can do is try and throw in a little something for everyone, I guess. But I tend to think that uh, a role-playing game versus a, I don't know, uh, a a tactical game or a war game... I like minis, don't get me wrong, with the miniatures and all that sort of thing. But I think that exact movement and stuff really kind of takes away from the the storytelling (laughs) yeah so but but i do know a lot of people who that's their that's their favorite bit so Mm -hmm. i don't i don't know what to suggest to uh (laughs) except to find to find a group that is mostly on the same page maybe yeah that's not always easy
1: are you using minis in your game carrie no because we're online oh we started in the pandemic (laughs) okay (laughs) so you haven't
0: you haven't seen minis in action or anything
1: not really, no,
2: okay. I much prefer the the theater of the mind, yeah, they say
0: <laughs> and I'll I do too, but I also think that miniatures, when people get into painting them and stuff, I think that can be its own hobby that's almost separate from gaming, and that's pretty creative and fun, and it is really neat to see maps i love I love games that have maps for some reason, like risk and pandemic, ironically enough. So to see like a battle map, even if we're not doing a super combat heavy game, it can just be nice to like orient yourself a little bit or at least see a, well, and you've, you've shown maps to our group, Jeff, where at least it just shows us like, okay, here's where you are. Here's where you're trying to go. Here's like the spatial relationship. I just kind of like that.
2: Uh, Visual aids are awesome. I'm 100% in favor of visual aids, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's just when it gets down to the you can move this many squares, you know, uh, I don't know. It's kind of, it kind (laughs) of takes away from it for me, but I mean, it, it can be fun too. I mean, that's certainly just a different type of role playing.
0: I think that helps for players that like, I have a very vivid visual imagination, but if we're talking about some kind of weirdly specific tactical thing that gets hard to visualize, and I think some players may not have a good visual imagination anyway, so having that help is good, and I think it can get right. everybody more on the same page with something kind of complicated. But but yeah, the fact that we are in a socially distant time right now, it is hard to get those things out there, although um, my husband is using a system called Fantasy Grounds to run a game where everybody can see a map in real time and even move their little tokens around on it. So, I find that really difficult to kind of maneuver around, but um, I think it helps for very like war combat heavy games for sure. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I do use my imagination a lot, but it is really nice to get those moments where everyone knows where everyone else is (laughs) and like everyone knows what the environment looks like. So, like you said, we are all on the same page. Mm
2: -hmm. Right. Right.
1: And speaking of that, how have you adapted to. Playing and GMing during the pandemic.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's certainly a challenge. I also have played via a number of different Discord, for one, and Zoom, we did Zoom, Mm -hmm. and Google Hangouts, I think I tried with a different group. And I have used Roll20. I've not used Fantasy Grounds, but uh, the Roll20 system worked pretty well for being able to be shown things. I was not running that particular adventure. But I actually think it works pretty well for those who are willing to do the theater of the mind.
0: Yeah. I found that your Zoom game, it works just like being in person.
2: Yeah, it really does.
0: Yeah. And the Fantasy Grounds game that Tom is running, we only have Discord uh, with just audio. And I kind of miss the having it be a video call so <laughs> yeah and yeah. so i I think that there is a social element that you have to address and decide how social your group is but it's pencil and paper and dice and so like it doesn't have to be it's that different from real life
1: mm-hmm.
0: one benefit of it over a board game is that you don't all have to be looking at I mean if you've got maps and things to share but board games that are like very very complex it's it's been a lot harder to replicate that in the pandemic than, I think, an RPG.
1: Yeah, I think the nature of it lends itself pretty well to playing online and remotely. We switch to audio only on Discord, and then we just use Roll20 for the maps. And like, I kind of miss being able to see everyone and like yeah. know how they're reacting to things and, and stuff like that. Yeah.
2: Definitely agree. It's great to be able to see the other players. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: So like I said, I'm a fairly new player. And I know, Kathleen, when you did an interview with Jeff in the fall, yeah, I had you ask about bringing new players into gaming. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to ask it again because <laughs> <laughs> I can. So I was pretty intimidated by playing before I actually started playing and learned to play. So how can we bring more people into gaming how do we kind of erase that barrier, especially for shyer people who maybe aren't super confident about wanting to play a character? Do you have just any thoughts about that?
2: Hmm. Well, yeah, I, I think that was a, a difficult question when I was asked <laughs> that before. I guess if the person has a desire to be involved in the story, they don't necessarily have to contribute a lot. I'm I'm trying to (laughs) to decide how best (laughs) to to say that. If you have things happen directly to their character, it kind of forces them a little bit, Mm -hmm. I mean, to step a little bit outside their comfort zone by responding in some way. (laughs) But I mean, I guess you have to judge that by each individual person, how much they're willing to come out of their shell. I mean, if they get into the story, I've had a lot of very very introverted people just go a little bit crazy when they were playing the role playing <laughs> game because it's it's an opportunity to be someone other than themselves mm-hmm. and so sometimes that just kind of comes out naturally if they understand that they are you know we're not going to associate that with them personally necessarily well we might. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that that really answers your question.
1: It was less a question and more just like a trying to get a discussion started because I mean I just think about it a lot because I am a recent player. So yeah, I was just thinking about how I can get people like me into it who thought about it for a really long time but haven't taken that jump yet. I mean, how did yet. you get into it? So I became friends with a colleague at work. I knew that she played. Dungeons and Dragons, and I was kind of like, Can you help me make a character? She like walked me through it all I was like, This is what this means. That's what that means. And then I asked her if she would DM for us. And then I tried to get a group together a year or so ago. And we played for like a couple weeks on and off. And then it kind of fell apart because we were all on different schedules. And then now I got an- another group together. And because we're online, it's a lot easier. We don't have to like meet up in person or anything. And she's still our DM, so it was really having that personal connection, having someone to be like, "Hey, can you just show me what this means, like what these rules are, and how you play, basically?"
2: Mm-hmm. Sure, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that you're enjoying it now, though, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you really yes. are. Took a little learning curve, I guess. Yeah, there's a bit of a curve. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's also all kind of different games with all kind mm. of different levels of rules. Some are extremely rules-light, mm. and those might be easier. It's just like playing pretend, you know? Yeah. Like Fiasco, the one that I would mentioned before, doesn't yeah. really have much in the way of dice rolling.
0: Right. Well, and uh, here's a big secret. I don't ever really like i will read them a little bit and i'll read them as needed but i do not really know the rules of any of the games i've ever played
1: (laughs) okay that makes me feel a little better
0: much the chagrin of my gms i'm sure but (laughs) but you it's the kind of thing where i think you don't always like super need to know them you need to understand how they work generally and you need to know where to go look them up it's kind of like high philosophy you don't need to memorize every philosopher but if you can at least understand where do i look that that sounds familiar let me look that up in the index it's kind of like that but but other players feel very differently and feel like they need to really really know the backwards and forwards of the games they're playing yeah so do you find that frustrating in a player jeff if they take that approach (laughs) Uh,
2: well again i like things rules light so Mm -hmm. i mean if they're ignoring me that's one thing <laughs> i don't i don't like for them to be not paying attention to the story mm-hmm. but if if they uh, yeah i'm not quite sure how to how to how to say <laughs> if they're telling a good story i'm okay with it i guess mm-hmm. is what i'm trying to say okay cool yeah i want them to be engaged and involved yeah but i mean they don't have to know the rules usually mm-hmm. i'll take care of that part and i'll say well no just roll a d20 and tell me what you get yeah and it's fine i've played with you <laughs> that goes just fine doesn't it
0: yes and i think too that as you go as you go you do pick the rules up a little bit mm-hmm. more and certainly things that i've played multiple times i do know enough of the rules to to get by and could even probably gm something with just some refresher but i think maybe that's another thing back to Carrie's other question earlier is like Getting a person who may be a little bit intimidated by gaming into it to let them know this is not like just a very complicated board game where you have to memorize the rules. This is a thing where if you're just a player, other people will help you.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think one of the biggest priorities in gaming, in group gaming like this, is maybe just to make sure everyone is comfortable. Uh So, you know, you can have people who are really into the rules and people who aren't as long as you maybe tailor the experience for them a little bit. Like, I want everyone to be having fun. So if I ran a game, and I was telling Kathleen that she had to learn the rules, I don't think she would be having fun, right? (laughs) (laughs) Probably
0: not. But if you told me that, and you said you really need to make sure you have your own copy of the rulebook, and at least be willing to look things up. If I knew that going in, I don't think I'd be like failing i just would be looking things up you know it's not like yeah. we're not we're not testing people it's not an exam so.
2: <laughs> right it's fun it's, it's fun, fun. It's storytelling it's fun. yeah yeah i have never really run anything for a group of people that i didn't know at all like say at a gaming convention or something where you mm. just have random people show up i can't imagine doing that
1: yeah that's that terrifies me <laughs>
2: yeah That would be so hard because I think I always tailor it to the to the people. I can't imagine doing one having no idea what their reactions are going to be.
0: (laughs) Now, I know I know people who have done that, though, and it's it's a skill. Maybe that'll be another later segment of discussing how do you run a game with strangers? But I do know a couple of people who have done that and done it fine. But I think it is I think I feel like they've told me afterward, like, oh, that was stressful. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh. but you know, it goes how it goes. It's one thing. The one that thing that's a benefit of that is you do get different. I think people stay a little bit more focused if they don't know each other, just because the only thing you have in common is the game. And so you can actually get a lot more accomplished in a shorter session, because you don't really have the social component, which I think is a fun part of a regular game. But it makes for a more interesting. It's, it's just a different experience.
2: That is interesting. i had not thought of it like that.
0: Yeah, because I played some as a as a player, just gone in cold of something that you know they give us just the bare minimum of rules to know, and we've got an hour, and we end up getting a lot done. It's crazy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a whole lot of table chatter you might say that goes on in a typical role playing game that maybe you wouldn't get in that situation so much. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe I'll have to try it sometime. Try it. Try it. <laughs>
1: Well, one of the questions I had, because I know KW and I and all of our author friends talk a lot about making our books more inclusive. So do you either consciously kind of try to make your games more inclusive or is that on your radar at all?
2: Well, I do want everyone involved to be comfortable. And inclusive, I guess, how so?
1: Well, in terms of... So a lot of RPGs, or at least like Dungeons and Dragons and things in that vein, are sort of based on high fantasy and things like that, which are traditionally genres that, you know, are very white and male-heavy, like for NPCs or just encouraging your players to create characters who might be different in different ways. Just something like that.
2: Sure. (laughs) Yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, there are game systems that in the setting, kind of throw that in there, such as there's a game called Coriolis, which is a science fiction game set in a future that is very, very non-Western, I guess you might say. It's in a part of space where the people that originally colonized it were very, very not what you would normally see in a in a science fiction movie where everyone's like white and English speaking, mm-hmm. it's honestly very Arabic, I guess. It's kind of got an Arabian Nights type of a of a feel to it. I mean, when people make characters in that, you're playing someone from a different culture, but you don't necessarily have to make it a make it a caricature. You know, you yeah. you, you just play it normally. But it's just accepted that you are in a different culture. Like in that in that game, prayer is a major part of it. There's actually a mechanic in the game for when you pray for things. Okay. Which is very different from what most... Well, okay. In d and I guess you've got your clerics who pray, but it's not quite the same. Mm-hmm. It's, uh... I feel like I'm just rambling here.
0: <laughs> no, that's really interesting.
2: But yeah, I don't specifically think about that. But there are a lot of modern role playing games that definitely do take that into account, I think. Like Kids on Bikes, for example, there are like different play sets. I guess I should give you a tiny bit about that game. It was designed to replicate like 80s like kids' adventure movies, like Spielbergian type of okay. adventure movies. But then there are these play sets in the back. Of alternate ways on playing it and there was one of the play sets was actually called was called Dads on Mowers. <laughs> I, I, I kind of wish I had it in front of me but it definitely took different orientations into account I guess you okay. might say. Yeah. I've not played that specifically <laughs> but just the fact that it was an option, I thought was awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I definitely did not mean to put you on the spot or anything. But you've mentioned Kids on Bikes and Coriolis mm-hmm. and Fiasco. So are there any other game systems that you would recommend or that you really like?
2: Oh, sure. Probably my probably my all-time favorite. The one that I've played... More than anything else is is Call of Cthulhu, which is of course based on h. P. Lovecraft's writing, which is a whole other can of worms, you know, <laughs> yeah, but you know you make the game what you want it to be, it doesn't have to it can it can be very, very inclusive, actually, I'm thinking of a supplement for Call of Cthulhu, which I kick started called. Harlem Unbound, I think, oh, which nice. was actually okay. uh, set during the Harlem Renaissance. Oh, cool! And in that, it was about a very different perspective on the mythos, and that that also brings to mind a book. I know that this is a role-playing podcast, but the book Lovecraft Country, which mm-hmm. they're basing mm-hmm. the the TV show on, was wonderful. The way that they took a rather prejudiced worldview. And uh, took it from the direct opposite perspective and made it awesome. And there's other stories. I I can't think of what they are, but from the perspective of people who were from Innsmouth. I don't know if you know much about the Lovecraft mythos, but the people from Innsmouth being the ones that were wiped out in the 20s with a a raid of their town because they worshipped some fish deity. And uh, there have been these these stories, oh, I feel like I'm going to have to look it up or you might mention it later, but stories of from their perspective, you know, as a marginalized people who were put into camps after that. And it very much parallels like, you know, Native Americans and reservations and things. And mm-hmm. I thought that was very interesting, actually. Anyway, oh. wow, that was not the question. Oh, was... No, but that's... Call of Cthulhu. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to tell a, a good horror story, there's nothing better than that, I think. Not everyone's into that, but I definitely am.
1: Awesome. Thank
2: you. Oh, sure. Blades in the Dark is another one that I mentioned very briefly. It's a, another collaborative storytelling game set in kind of a fantasy city where everyone plays criminals, <laughs> okay. doing confidence schemes and things like that. Different kind of fantasy for sure. There's even one that I've not played before called Dialect, which is about language. Mm-hmm. And you play the game to sort of develop your own language <laughs> based on incidents that happen and the things that happen in the game. You make words sort of based on them and develop an entire language around it. There are there are so there are so many yeah. to speak of. I, I, I have to mention the system that we are using, Low Fantasy Gaming, which is based on the old school fantasy gaming from the 80s, mm-hmm. published by Pickpocket Press, by the way. They incorporate some more modern role-playing conventions in with the old school stuff so that it's you know, a good fit for what we are doing currently, a kind of retro modern thing.
0: Yeah. So before we let you go, tell us about your game and podcast that's coming out very, very shortly now.
2: It is. It is. The Cast Perilous is the name of the podcast, which, if all goes as planned, we will be posting our first episode on Tuesday, August 18th.
1: Yes. I'm very excited.
2: So, yeah. Yeah, that ought to be cool. It's an actual play role-playing podcast. It's, as I'd mentioned before, rules-light and (laughs) story-oriented. It's likely that we may experiment with different stories and different game systems over our run. Hopefully it will go for a long time. But we're starting out with telling a story that's set in a very non-Disney fairy tale type world. (laughs) And uh, the players are portraying Teenager friends who set off for their first time outside the village to seek adventure and discover all manner of weird and wonderful and frightening stuff. It's kind of a dark fairy tale, I guess, if that makes sense. It's got humor, it's got horror, it's got fantasy. But since it is a fantasy, we decided to use that old school low fantasy gaming. But yeah, yeah, we've got a number of people playing with different levels of gaming experience five people so far i think it starts it starts off with three and then we switch to four we lose one person and gain two more (laughs) and yes someone here is in it
0: i am yes yes she is i'm not in the first couple but then yeah i'm one of the people that gets added after a couple of episodes and i've listened to the ones that you've let us listen to so far and they're very they're very good. There was one episode I was listening to while out jogging and and Jeff has a NPC voice that was so startling that I (laughs) kind of stopped moving and was very, very disoriented and frightened. So that was Oh,
2: wow, that's that's a great compliment. Yeah. eh?
0: That was not one of the episodes that I was in, so it was very so I hadn't heard that character before and was just like, what? That is really scary. KW, can you give us a little
1: description of your character?
0: Yes, my name is Jolie, and I am a 'er ne'er-do-well who (laughs) has been away from the village and town for a while, and I come back home to help my grandmother run her inn, and I find that nefarious things are afoot in this little Mm -hmm. village, and I have to decide to be a little bit more heroic than I am wont to do. (laughs) I'm a little bit of a roguish character, so.
1: Nice, that sounds fun. Yeah. I'm very excited to listen to it. It's great, yeah.
2: August 18th. <laughs> we should put the uh, the first episode up, and we'll see how frequently they come out. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we'll try and stay on a good schedule.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, and I'm sure we'll have you back sometime, and yeah, that was great.
2: Oh, good. I had a good time. It was very great.
1: Me too. Thank you very much.
2: Yeah. Carrie, should you ever want to, maybe one day we we'll, we should all roleplay together.
1: That would be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. Awesome.
1: <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Thanks to Jeff for coming on again. Yeah.
0: I actually ended up getting a copy of the Dialect RPG after we talked. I haven't had a chance to really look at it yet, but I think it could be pretty interesting. It's a very different kind of game, and I'll let you guys know what I think of it awesome for sure let us know i
1: will so next week we'll be talking about the new taylor swift album and the tv shows star girl and better call saul our theme music is by joseph mcdade you can find me on twitter at carrie gessner and you can find me on twitter at kw taylor writer and you can find us both on twitter at pause pop podcast
0: and you can email us at positively at at gmail.com thanks for listening
1: Stay healthy and safe, and join us next time for another episode of Paws Pop.